0: There was a question I thought was pretty, as we talked about love being the descriptor or the particular uh, matter about understanding what a disciple of Jesus is, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, and uh, the discussion about Jesus doing the particular work uh, that Stanton asked, and I'm going to deal with that. And one person said this, what books would you recommend for a person who's still struggling with believing that God loves them? That's a great question. What books would you recommend? I'm not a book salesman. Uh, and and uh, I don't even play one on television. But um, here's, a, here's a few I, I, I would recommend. Uh, and a lot of them are in our bookstore here uh, at uh, Crossings, if you'd uh, make your way down there. A couple of them. number Number one, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. The Jesus I Never Knew. Uh, a very uh, thoughtful uh, work of really understanding is our understanding of God and image of God correct. So that's, that's a good one. Another one that I found that would be helpful and this, uh, I'm going to start with books that I think may help correct your view of God, and then I'm going to try to go to some books that may correct your understanding of even what the Christian life is. Another one is The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whitall Smith. The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whittall Smith. Uh, Hannah Whittall Smith's daughter was married to William James, the father of American psychology. Uh, And uh, I think I've told, but one of my professors discovered some correspondence between William James, uh, the the great Harvard uh, uh, father of American psychology, and Hannah Woodall Smith. And the correspondence was this. I do not believe in God, but if I ever come to the point of coming to that position, I hope that I understand God like you do. So that's a pretty heavy endorsement there, that uh, William James with Hannah Woodall Smith Uh, Another one is The God You've Always Wanted by Bill Hybels. Now, you're going to have to buy these, but I'm just trying to give you a a summary. The God You've Always Wanted by Bill Hybels. And finally, a book I've had for, for probably 30 years, and it's still in print, is The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. Now, there's another feature of it sometimes is that our religious experience and our religious history... Uh, has uh, something uh, to do with that. And there's a couple of books I would recommend if that's your case. So saying, you know, I think I understand God, but it's this whole church thing, this whole how do you live life, this legalism sometimes that creeps in. Here it is uh, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. Or Brendan Manning. The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. And then another one I f- have found I've got it on my desk and still looking at it at times is Toxic Faith. Toxic Faith by Stephen Arterburn. Uh, you may be familiar with some of his work and uh, Henry Cloud and others. Toxic Faith. This attempts to address not only uh, maybe people have an un- incorrect view of God or misunderstanding, but they've, they've been affected uh, powerfully, if you will, uh, by some ways of religion or misunderstanding in that. And then finally, one of my favorites uh, of all time, which I think uh, I, I try to reread uh, on uh, several occasions, is uh, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Uh, the Knowledge of the Holy uh, by A.W. Tozer. Uh, any of those books, uh, in my judgment, uh, would help either address the issue about uh, that God loves you by understanding the nature of God or by understanding some of the issues that sometimes religion uh, has a way of kind of sneaking in and, and, and digging around our life. Okay. All right, uh, here's another one, Uh, another question. Uh, He said, you say that all of this life is about Jesus, but your applications seem to suggest it's all about us. I thought that was a a fair question. Uh, You know, when we get to the end of any point, I try to give you something to what? Do, you know, right? I mean, it seems like that. But I think it's a fair question. I want to be clear here to say, when you say it's all about Jesus and our trusting him, Uh, But then the applications. I want to make this distinction I've made before uh, is that I do believe that there is a distinction that I didn't make this up. Dallas Willard did. There's a distinction between effort and earning. I'm not earning anything by doing or applying these things. I'm exercising, if you will, some effort. And so in this matter... We practice, if you will, uh, some of the things that we're learning uh, to allow God to work in our lives. I've used this illustration, and I'll, I'll just uh, say it this way. Uh, this morning, uh, I took a shower. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and that's probably way too much information this early, right? I took a shower. Uh, I, this is the way I see the Christian life working. Uh, the water is not something I create. It's not something I produce. It's something I... Uh, take, if you will, advantage of when I get under it. And what I'm suggesting is I just get under the water and let the water do the work. But I have to get under the water, right? And so application or attempting to begin to do something is simply my attempt to sort of get under the water and to say, okay, let me, let me kind of place myself in a situation or, or a circumstance where I can take advantage of or use or get in line with uh, God's grace and God's power. I don't, I don't think this is earning, I don't, and, I, and I, I appreciate the question because I don't want anybody leaving thinking it's all about you. Now, now you go do it. It really is having learned something or discussed a truth now, how do I get myself underneath that in a way that God uh, can begin to work and, and uh, get me uh, in, in my life aligned? So I thought that was a good question. The third question I'm going to end with is uh, some people are hard to love, Cliff. <laughs> I wasn't sure if there was a comma there. <laughs> some people are hard to love, Cliff. or So I'm going to interpret this as a rabbi as how I read it. <laughs> And they said, you know, some people are hard to love. I don't, I don't want to hurt them, I, I, but I don't really want to be around them. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be around them. I understand that. Let me make a couple observations about that. I don't want to minimize that at all. I'm interpreting this to mean that there are people uh, in your life uh, that uh, are doing things that may be inappropriate that you, uh, that you think are wrong. Or that there are people that you feel like might be taking advantage of you at times. And I think that that there is a, a couple of things here that I want to just hit and move on, is that from a biblical perspective, let me remind you that love is not a feeling. You don't have to feel a certain way to a person to love them. It's not a feeling. Agape really comes out of, as we talked last week, out of an understanding of eros and phileo and sturgia, that agape is really a determination. A friend of mine, Jeremy Kubitschek, says it like this, that it really is fighting for the best for another Fighting for the best for another. And so love is really seeking the best for another person. It doesn't have to be emotional. You don't have to have a lot of feelings about it. But you are seeking the best. Sometimes the best might be for you just to quit irritating them. (laughs) You know, by being there. And just saying, look, I realize this is a situation that that is is an irritant, and it's probably best we just not be around each other. There's no ill will here. It's just I realize my life or the way I go at things is an irritant to you and probably ought to just agree to to do that. Go look at Acts when uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, have a little disagreement over John Mark that uh, you know, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and, and Paul said, no way. And they just decided to to sort of kind of go their own way and say, you know, we love each other, but it's probably not best for that. The other thing is this is, and I don't want to get too spiritual here, um, but I would <laughs> the longer I've I've been a follower of Jesus, uh, the more radical, the more difficult, the more challenging this matter of love is in my daily life. I remember when I was in seminary. Uh, my dad uh, had a fellow named John, uh, Don Dimorey, who was a brilliant scholar at Asbury Seminary uh, and came and preached at our church. And uh, Don, who I knew, who looks like Mel Brooks, by the way, and uh, you can't take class with him out going, These t- 15, Ten Commandments. And if you, You've never seen that movie, so you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Y'all are all Christian people. <laughs> but I remember Don came to church that Sunday and... Uh, and uh, was preaching, and he announced he's going to preach on love. And as a young seminarian who knew everything, right, I said to myself, well, Don, I guess you had a tough week. Got to pull something out on love because nobody's going to argue with that. But I'm telling you, as I've gotten older, this is where I live every day and you do too. I think that sometimes these relationships should cause this, where we cry out to God. To do something in us that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. For we cry out to God for Him to do something in us that we are absolutely incapable of doing ourselves. See, part of the problem, we're going to talk about this today in Peter. Oh, what a good segue. We're going to talk about this, that part of the problem for a lot of us, and I'm including myself, is that we don't know the difficult and the powerful work that love requires. Henry Nouwen said it this way, we like power and authority because we don't want to do the hard work that love demands. And I'm telling you this, that's where I believe, I understand my greatest sense of need. Like I said it this way, you'll never get to the beginning of God till you get to the end of yourself. You'll never get to the beginning of God Till you get to the end of yourself. Listen, I don't ha- personally have problems with reading my Bible and praying. I just have learned to do that. I don't have a lot of problems with, if you will, going to church and paying my tithe. I've learned to do that. I, I don't have a lot of problems with running around with people that are going to help me grow. Here's where I have trouble. Loving people. Especially those that are an irritant. Or even that I think are living incorrectly. So this becomes a place for us to cry out to God. I've said to my students before, uh, you know, our problem is... Oh, boy, this. Our problem often is that we're living lives that are pretty contained. And we don't feel the need for God very often. Until we lose our job. Or lose our health. Or lose our family. Then... We're completely alert to how much we need God, right? Yeah, see? So let me, let me recommend this to you. If you're living in that phase where things are pretty nailed down, and I'm not asking for chaos and problems. I, nobody wants that. But read 1 Corinthians 13 every day and ask God to do that in your heart. Or read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 4, uh, 5, 6, and 7 every day and ask God to do that in your life. And find out if there isn't some increasing sense of need in your life to say, it's not just about some of these external things. It really is about this inward kind of work where God works in my life, in my heart. I'll finish with this thought because I thought of it. There's only one time that the disciples ever asked Jesus to increase their faith. One time. And it wasn't... After Jesus walked on the water, I would have been saying, hey, 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 increase my faith. This is awesome, right? It wasn't after he raised somebody from the dead. You know when it was? You can go look at it in Matthew 10 later. It's when Jesus said, if somebody sins against you seven times a day, forgive them. If they come to you and sin seven times a day and they come and ask you to, they repent, Forgive them. You know what their response was? Lord, (coughs) increase our faith. Listen, faith and love are those two things that we're in constant need of in constant demand. So I, I would just recommend to you, whoever that person is, and for the rest of us who are so godly, we don't have any problems with anybody, right? For the rest of us, these are places where we should cry out to God. And say, Lord Jesus, create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. Final thought. I keep saying that. You know what a preacher says when it's the last thought. You know what that means? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Or in closing, it it doesn't mean anything. Or they look at their watch, nothing. Doesn't doesn't mean anything. (laughs) John Wesley, I think, was clear on this notion. When he said... and and wrote extensively that one of the problems in the Reformation, and I have my notes here. By the way, Friday is Reformation Day, not Halloween. Okay? On the 31st of October, 1517, Martin Luther nailed on the door at the Church of Wittenberg 95 objections that he had to the practice of the Catholic Church. That's what happened for us on October 31st. Because on November 1st, All Saints Day, people would be there to church and they would see it. Wesley said, Luther and Calvin and other guys, here's what they did. That he thought, and I think I think it's what, what we do. We elevate faith above love. All we ever talk, do you believe the right things? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe the right things? Go to Galatians 5, 6 sometime and we're... Paul writes this, For neither circumcision or uncircumcision matters at all, but faith working through love. That's what matters. Your faith and my faith working through love. And Luther, or, 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 Wesley said, Although he loved the reformers and he appreciated what they did and how they rescued the gospel from legalism and effort and trying. they, They rescued it by faith were made right with God. He said they went too far and they separated faith and love. And so I think this is where we need to cry out to God and just say, God, work in my heart to where the expression of your spirit and the expression of your power in my life is love. Does that make sense? So to that person and us, we're going to cry out to God. And we're going to say, you bet. I've got people in my life that I don't enjoy that much being around. You bet. If you're breathing, you got that. If If you're alive and you're breathing, there are people that are difficult to be around. There are all kinds of issues. Who knows what they all are? But we pray to God that we understand that love is not a feeling that we want the best for others and that we cry out to him to do in us, create a love that we don't have, that we can't produce, that we can't generate, right? This is where it gets supernatural. I've got to have something in me from you that I don't have. So that's, those, are, those are some good questions. Aren't you glad for those questions? Still, still who got trapped? Let's see. Who would that have been? All right. John 13, that's where you are. Okay? John 13. I I just have a couple of verses today, really. I told Becky I could work this, I think. In this uh, discussion or in this uh, matter here, conversations with Jesus. This last night of Jesus' earthly ministry in which Jesus has been talking only to his followers And now, after having come through the dinner and discussed these matters, Jesus has said, you know, a new commandment I give to you, 34, that you love one another as I have loved you. You're to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, after that, in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answers, where I go, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Now, as Stanton had pointed out uh, last week, Jesus had said earlier, I'm going to go and you can't go. Now Jesus says, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me later. You know what, what does that mean? Within a span of a few verses, Jesus said, You can't go where I'm going. And now, you can't go, but you will later. We'll, we'll look at that. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, "Will will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times." Now I want to connect this because remember, verse and chapter locations are not inspired; they're just ways to locate. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna deny me. You're you're not gonna lay your life down. You're gonna deny me. And then Jesus says, "Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me." I, I've often said this this verse is not its not a bad thing, but it's not really for funerals. It's for failures. It's, it's not really. The context is not funerals here. The context is failure. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster even crows. And so I want to look at this under this idea of this conversation this way. First of all, uh, here we go. Is Peter's missing the point? It's... <laughs> It's fascinating to me. Uh, I'm just telling you, this is my understanding, 13a. When Peter says, Lord, where are, where are you going? Now, let, let's look at this here just for a moment. Here's my judgment on this. And you, you just have to work with me. Uh, it's interesting that in Jesus making these statements, that he ends with, I'm going to be with you a little longer, and a new command. I'm giving you something brand new here. It's a new commandment. And we talked about that this commandment, is different in degree and in sequence. The degree is you're to love, not as you love yourself, but you're to love as I have loved you. And it's in sequence because it assumes that these guys have been loved. That's a, that's a significant point there. It's, it, 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 it at least amuses me or cracks me up. By this, all men will know. This is the sign. What is it that signifies? What is it that demonstrates? What is it that, that marks out the followers of Jesus, you know, uh, when we go back to Becky's place, there are people called Mennonites in that area, and we know who they are because of the little hats and coverings that the women wear, right? And 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 so that's what marks them out. We say, oh, there's, some, I mean, we're not—they're they're wonderful people. They have great restaurants, and uh, you know, uh, and then and then you see up in the uh, up in uh, in um, uh, eastern Ohio, like my folks used to live, you have the Amish. The way they dress. You know, what cracks me up is, this is where legalism will take you. Do you know why they started wearing black suits and all that kind of stuff originally? To not draw attention to themselves. <laughs> How's that working? <laughs> There's a bus. You can buy a ticket to go look at them like they're in a zoo. <laughs> look at They're there over there. See them? Look, look. They're working over there. Look. That's where legalism always takes you. You think this is nuts. You thought we're not going to draw attention to ourselves. Now a gray bus line comes by here and they're pointing them out, and you can buy little doll. It's ridiculous. See, what is it that marks out the followers of Jesus? He said it's love. And Peter seems to miss the entire point. He wants to talk about. Where are you going? Where do you look at that? Peter said, Lord, why can't we go where you're going? It seems to me that he has missed the point that Jesus is carefully trying to indicate what is important to him and his followers. This is how people are going to know you're mine. Because you love one another. But Peter's gotten hung up on the statement in 1333. He can't hear or doesn't care about what Jesus has said is central. It's fascinating to me. You see, it's like we are. We want to talk about the second coming in the Middle East. We want to discuss worship styles. We want to talk about anything, other people, how they're living, how the world is so bad. What do you expect the world to be? <laughs> you know? How, how things are so terrible, how people are bad. Listen, what Jesus said, concentrate on this. This is what you ought to be concentrating on, Peter. Peter misses the point. Peter appears to not even hear what Jesus said is the essential truth that characterizes, that is the mark, that is the sign that you're a follower of Jesus. Not who you vote for, not how you, not how you act, or not what you do on Sunday morning, although those are all important things. Do we love each other? And Peter misses the whole point, which is not unusual, <laughs> He wants to discuss. He wants to argue. He wants, listen, I, I was saying, I wrote this in my deal. Listen, I, I could fill up an auditorium and sell tapes if I could give you 14 steps on understanding the end times, right? Let me sell a tape on how to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and see who shows up. We won't talk about anything but that. We're willing to get intrigued and interested in those kind of matters. It seems that Peter doesn't even. See that now? Jesus is going to answer his question, but it's amazing Right on the heels of that, the question is, "Where are you going? <laughs> why can't I go? Hey, I want to go. Why, why can't I go? You, you get the irony there. That Jesus is is making this statement about what distinguishes the followers of him? Hey, why can't I go? I bet I could go if you let me go. You're thinking, "Oh my goodness, you've missed." The whole point, this idea of this notion that has taken the place of love. I I love uh, football, like some of you do, and uh, occasionally. I remember when I was uh, in Houston years and years ago, Bum Phillips. And by the way, I know why his name is Bum. I know his first name. (laughs) Yeah. O-A-I-L. Oil. Or O-A-L. How I said, "Oil, Andrew Phillips, I'd take bum, I'd take bum." Bum Phillips was just a master at catching people and missing the point. Uh, he was interviewed one time, and this guy had coached in high school and college. He, he coached with Bear Bryant, Hayden Fry, others in an interview one time. One of the guys was trying to make a point, one of a, a significant point here about Earl Campbell, the great running back from some college, I can't remember offhand, uh, who, who played for the Oilers, who Jack Lambert said for the Pittsburgh it was like tackling a Jeep whenever he came through the line. And the interview says this to Bum in, a, in an interview. Uh, Mr. Uh, Coach Phillips, he said, uh, you know, aren't you ever worried about Earl Campbell? Because when Earl Campbell gets hit and goes down, he's slow getting up after tackled. And Bum said, yeah, And he goes down slow, too. (laughs) Yeah, real slow. They asked him one time about this. They said that Earl Campbell could not finish the mile run at practice. He couldn't finish it. And so Bum says to him, okay, whenever it's first and one mile in a game, I'll not give him the ball. (laughs) Yeah, when it's first and one mile. John was really good at illustrating how people are missing the point. That's what Peter's did. It's easy to not want to talk about love. It's easy to not want to discuss what is it that distinguishes us. It's hard work. Yeah. Hopefully. Be more yeah. That's right. But he, 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 that impulsiveness, well, why can't I go? You're right. It, is this idea, why can't I go? He's missing the whole point that Jesus is making. So here's, I don't have this on your album, but I ask you this question Is there something in your life or my life, we're asking ourselves, is there something that you or I have allowed? To take the priority of love. In our life with Jesus. Is there some doctrine? Is there some idea? Is there some concept? Is there some practice? Is there some thing we're fighting. Or up, uh, 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 worried about. Or uptight about. How prominent. Is the truth. That love. Is what should be central. Now I'm not talking. I told you like. I'm talking about sloppy agape. Just letting people go. Sometimes love. Has to speak to people and say things that are true. Sometimes love has to say, "This can't go on. This isn't right. It's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you." But how prominent is it in your daily life with Jesus? I just tell you, I, this is this whole thing that I've been working through has been just really causing me. I know Marty talked about last last week about this. Some and I, I think we all do, but. I've really been asking myself at times whenever I'm merging onto the freeway, is this an act of love? (laughs) The way I'm doing it. I'm I'm a a, a rules guy, right guy. Who who has the right here to merge? (laughs) Okay? I don't know if you know that or not, but I know who has the right here. I'm asking myself while I'm driving, would it be the loving thing to do, Cliff, to let this person in? Would it be the loving thing? Yeah, well, sometimes. Yeah. I want to I get a big blade on the front of my car. <laughs> a big blade and a cattle guard. Yeah. I'm going to teach you driving 101. <laughs> or at work. Is, is it the loving thing to do to always have my opinion? How about at home? Is it the loving thing to do to watch TV all night? And not talk to my wife or kids? Is it the loving thing to do to say, this is my money, man, I do what I want to? Is it that prominent in our understanding? Now, I'm going to move on. That's something to think about. Number two, or B. Jesus' response. Now, notice what Jesus says here. This comes back to Stan's original question. Um, Where I go, you can't follow. But from now, on, but, but you will follow later. Um, I think what's going on here is a couple things. I want you to a note in your Bible the word follow happens twice there at the end of verse 36. You cannot follow me, but you will follow me later. Does this mean that in general, Jesus is saying, look, I've got something to do you can't do. Go to the cross, right? I've got something you can't do. We talked about that last week, that Jesus is a specialist. He's got, Jesus is doing something that no one else can do. But when I get through with that, you can then follow me in your life. And he did. That's a general idea, perhaps. You know, He's just saying, I'm going somewhere to do something. You can't do it. But after I do it, then you'll follow me. Or two, is it specifically a statement by Jesus that Peter will follow Jesus in the way he will die? We know in the gospel accounts and others, or we know in, in, in church history, rather, that, that Peter did in fact get crucified upside down. There's an ancient legend, Quo is the, you know, the book or the movie uh, that is uh, supposed uh, to be a legend in the Roman Catholic tradition uh, and uh, tells the story of how at one point Peter was in Rome and was, was leaving because of persecution and that Jesus met him on the road, going back into Rome, and, and, G- and Jesus uh, says, or P- Peter says to Jesus, where are you going? He says, I'm going back to be crucified again. And Peter turns around. That's a legend. It's, we, don't, we don't have any evidence that that happened. But that, that idea that Peter will, in fact, have a similar kind of death. That Jesus saying, I'm the forerunner, Peter. I'm going to open the way to God for you, and you will then follow me later. You will be able to follow me after I do what I'm doing. So I don't think it's a contradiction here. I think in 33, Jesus is speaking only and specifically to the notion, I'm going to the cross. You can't go here. You can't do what needs to be done here. In this case, he's saying, I'm going to go. Let me clarify. I'm going to go. You can't come now, but you'll follow me later. Look at that word there at the end, but you'll follow later. When I read that and looked at that, I thought about what Jesus is saying here is that he's indicating he's the forerunner. He's the one that goes before us. He's the one who works the work and does all that he does and to enable us to follow him in the days to come. We follow Jesus because he has completed the work that had to be done. He did the work. He completed the work that had to be Now we can follow him. And in Peter's case, perhaps, the notion is, he will even follow him in a similar way to die. Are you following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Now, let's, let's be clear. You can't follow Jesus in what he did, he's the only one who could do it. But because of what he did, now you can follow Jesus. Because of what he did, now you can. You know, I had an interesting conversation with my students uh, this past week. We, we often have interesting conversations. And we we're talking about this, about following Jesus. And it got real clear as we talked about this, I thought, I'm going to talk about this in Sunday school. That it seems to me that, in this, these are real generalizations, and you know, they're probably all always a, an exception, is that for many people, they follow Jesus out of the threat of punishment. You know, if you don't follow Jesus, go to hell. There's there's a threat of punishment that is, if you will, present. And I'm not saying that that it isn't a smart thing to not want to go to hell. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it seems that some people are only motivated by that to 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 escape punishment. On the other hand, there's other people that it seems to me that they follow Jesus for the motive of the prospect or the possibility of reward. If I do this, I'll get that. If I live right, things will work out great. I'll go to heaven. You know, that's the the ultimate reward. And I said to my students, I said, you know, there's certainly some admixture here of this, but let me suggest you something about following Jesus. If you're following Jesus just because of the threat of punishment... It's my judgment as I've watched people over the years. People get fed up with that and just say, I'm out. You ever seen that? I'm, t- I'm done with it. I don't care. I'd, I'd rather, I'd, you know, Invictus, the terrible poem I would never remember have by is to say, I would rather stand in hell than bow in heaven. It's the poem Timothy McVeigh quoted after he'd been judged. Fascinating thing is, the night before he's executed, he called for a priest. But that idea of constantly being harangued and harassed by fear won't work. You'll get angry. You you should. (laughs) If the only thing that is motivating you is the absolute threat of fear of punishment or the possibility of reward. Well, if I'll do this, I'll get that. Follow Jesus. The problem with that is that sometimes the things that people tell you you're going to get, you don't. <laughs> right? An easy life, peace and joy, and all your kids are born with straight teeth. <laughs> right? It's going to be wonderful. It's all going to be reward. See? The Bible speaks of this, the Bible has all kinds of issues about this. But if you're following because of reward, there will be a point in your life when the reward isn't enough. Right? I mean, you can keep pushing it off to heaven, but I'm kind of interested in living right now. And so you push off the thing that it's only because of reward. Can I suggest to you something? There's another motive. And that's this Jesus as the forerunner, Jesus as the one going before us, communicates at least to me that I am following someone who loves me more than anybody else in the universe and only wants the best for me. Now, that may look different than what our best is. But I was a little ways down the road in my Christian life when I finally came to the conclusion that what Jesus said about life was the way life works. I'm 61 now. I'm seeing that more clearly than I ever have. That when I have to follow Jesus or do things I don't really completely understand to say, I'm not doing it because I'm afraid I'll get in trouble. I'm not going to do it because, hey, there'll be a big reward here. I'm doing it because I'm saying, look, you love me more than anybody else in the universe and I believe you have my best interest at heart. My judgment, every other motive is going to burn to the ground at some point. You don't get the rewards you wanted or you get tired of the threat. You say, it's because this forerunner. He went and did something for me I could not do for myself. And I'll follow him now because he did what I could not do. He's the forerunner. He's the one that says, follow me. And life will be what you need it to be. Third thing. Got to hurry. Peter's arrogance You know the story, we read it. Peter says, look, I can follow you. I'll die for you. Now we know as John gives us this information that Peter is not going to do that. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, one, Peter does not know himself. How can you live in your own body and not know yourself? <laughs> uh, I've often, you know, Becky every once in a while will say to me on Sunday morning in church, she goes, here, and she's hand me a breath mint. And I say, what do I need that for? She said, you smell like coffee. <laughs> I said, well, don't people like that? Anyway. <laughs> She'll hand me a mint, and I go, what do I need that for? Is it? Think about this. Now, listen. Let's. What I'm going at here is that most of us don't know ourselves. We really don't. We're like Peter. We think we do, but we don't. Listen. Have you ever thought about this? That when you have bad breath, you need somebody to tell you. And your mouth is right under your nose. (laughs) Just consider it. (laughs) It's not like your mouth is by your ear or it's on the end of your hand, your mouth is under your nose. You don't know that. As I've worked in ministry, the thing that has puzzled me more times than not is our total lack of understanding of who we are. I've said it to more than one person when they would come to me and they would say, I did something I can't believe I did it. And I said, you know why? Because you don't know yourself. Francois Fenelon, a great Roman Catholic mystic in the 17th century, would say it like this. If you're ever surprised at what you do, it's proof you don't know yourself. It always worries me when people say, I would never, and I'm not, and I can't, and it won't ever happen. And I get worried because I think you don't know yourself. I'm not here to say that we need to beat up on ourselves, but I'm going to tell you this. Peter doesn't know himself. He does not. And this is the notion here that many of us carry at times that we often wonder how something happened or why did this occur or why did I say that? Because we don't know ourselves. I showed you this before. I'll show you real quick. In fact, a friend of mine talked to me one time on it. This is what you call the Johari window. You've heard it, but you need to be reminded. It's J-O-H-A-R-I, the Johari window. It was developed by two guys at Harvard, brilliant, called Joe and Harry. (laughs) I'm not kidding. In this first quadrant, they say, this is knowledge that all know. I know I am loud. You know I am loud. We all understand that. Right? That's we The second one is stuff in my life only I know. I only know I've been if 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 I've been to jail. <laughs> or unless I tell you, there's stuff about me that only I know. In fact, you've been talking to somebody and you go, hey, TMI, dude. TMI, too much information. Tell me more about you. I got a friend that says, apparently you've confused me with somebody who cares, <laughs> which I don't recommend. <laughs> this is This is only what I know about me, okay? The third quadrant. What only others know about you. Did you know that? There's some things about me that I didn't know until somebody loved me enough to tell me. There's some things about you that you don't know until somebody that loves you enough to tell you. I walk, I guess, I found out that one someday ago, when I, when I exercise or sometimes like that, when I walk, the kids always tell me they cannot keep up with me. They say, can I uh, talk to you? Yeah, well, we're walking because i got to go somewhere. I walk a 13-minute mile regularly. So I'm moving. And somebody said to me one time, you know, Cliff, when you walk like that, you make everybody afraid to talk to you. No, come on, I'm just walking for a crime. I'm not, you know, twirling pistols or, you know. I said, no, 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 the way you walk puts people off. And I said, well, well show me. And so they did, and I started doing this. I went, people really walk like this? <laughs> they said, yeah. I said, no, come on. Yeah. Really. Because, you know, I work like a maniac because I want to help people. But you know what I didn't know? The way I work makes people think, I don't care. There are things about you you don't know. Here's a great question. In some leadership training I've taken lately, I'm asking this question. You ought to ask it. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? Of me. My dear wife has helped me with this in some ways, but she's still got to help. We'll be out to dinner with some of you. We've been with some of you. You don't don't know what's going on. But I'm talking or doing something, and I feel this hand go on my knee. And she's not being romantic. (laughs) That means shut up. Or ask a question. Quit. Right? We got this whole deal worked out. I, I just am having to ask, what's it like to be on the other side of me? I've I, I belabored this, but I, I want to talk to you about this. In a church this size, it seems to me that one of the things we have to work hard at is to find these people and get them in our life. Because the fourth quadrant in the Johari is the, wor- the quadrant... Of growth. You want to grow as a follower of Jesus? You want to grow as a person? You want to grow as an individual? Then you get to that quadrant four through three. Through three. And over the years, as I've been involved in ministry, it's fascinating to me how many of us are alone. How many of us don't really have people in our lives that really can help us to understand what is it like to be on the other side of you? What do others see in us that we don't see? What is it we need to grow in? Now John Wesley was a genius of this and I've got a quote on here for you but, but I, I want to remind you that that we don't talk about I, this way, I don't Uh, I don't uh, participate in what I call accountability groups. That's too heavy. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to God. I might try to help you be walking with Jesus, but but Wesley always called it, these groups he called them, watching over one another in love. It takes a lot of love to go talk to somebody about this, doesn't it? You know, I want to talk to you, Cliff, about this. I I, want to talk to you about, Something in your life. We were, we, we were out last weekend. I was a couple here in the class, and uh, we went uh, to a lake thing with them. Oh, it was Terry and Dick. You know. And we're sitting there, and I said this to them. You know, it's been great being with you guys, but I was a little nervous coming to spend the weekend with you because you might find out I'm a nut, <laughs> right? You know, I know some things about me, and I know some weirdness about me. And I've got some weird patterns. I brought my donuts before I got there. But, um, you know, we, we know there are things, life, but, but do we have people that love us enough to say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Listen, the most enriching thing in my life has been to be with men on a regular basis that we look at each other. We talk about football. We talk about all kinds of things. But we talk about our pain. And we talk about things going on inside of us. And others will say, but... I see this. Look what Wesley said in his revival work. He says, I was more convinced than ever that the preaching like an apostle, without joining together those that were awakened and training them up in the ways of God, is only beginning children for the murderer. How much preaching has there been there for these 20 years all over Pembrokeshire, but no regular societies and societies for Wesley's as small groups of people getting together. No discipline, no order connection. And the consequence is this, that nine in ten of the once awakened are now faster asleep than ever. I talk to guys, I talk to people all the time. If you don't know yourself, and the devil does, he may find a way to get you. Because you're by yourself. You can be in a room like this and be by yourself. You can be in a church and be by yourself. You can smile at people and say, how are you doing? Fine. And be by yourself. Now, we have a lot of ministries that involve small groups. And I highly recommend them. But I want to I talk to guys and ladies here for just a second. Guys, you've got to have some guys in your life that can look you right down the drain. And say, I want to talk to you about something. Here's an area. I don't know if, you're, if you notice this or not. I don't know if you know this about yourself or not. But I love you. I'm not talking about the first time you get together. I've been meeting with guys for 24 years on Wednesday morning. A uh, Friday morning in a men's Bible study. And it took some, because we only met once a week. It took some time where guys would begin to say, man, I, I need some help. I'm, I'm struggling in my family we just kept it with us I'm struggling with my kids I'm being terribly tempted because I have this job that I'm by myself man I tell you when that starts happening you you can sense the spirit of God of helping people to say hey I know you you know me we'll work together on this what about that Peter you don't know yourself you think you do you ever said that I would never do that. You don't know yourself. That could never happen to me. You don't know yourself. That could never work in my life. So this week, I want to ask you to commit to at least three times this week with your spouse, your fiancé, a person you're dating, somebody that delivers the mail, I don't know. (laughs) Seeking God's wisdom about yourself and your relationships. And Becky has been an incredible agent of God's grace to me. To love me enough to say, Cliff, here's something you need to know about. Now, maybe you don't have that. I don't know. Not everybody does. Or would you begin to seek and ask God how you could be involved in relationship with other followers of Jesus? Men with men. And women with women. I think the small groups that are, you know, co-ed or whatever you call that, they're great. But I tell you, I've had, I have some guys in my life. And I'm so thankful. I've told them, I can tell you anything, and you'll love me, and you'll listen to me, and you'll help me. I don't want to go through life not knowing me, not having those kind of dynamic, powerful. Relationships. Guys with guys. Women with women. Would you be committed to that to say, whether it's in my marriage or my fiance or someone, or I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do that, Cliff. I'm gonna find some guys that'll get together. Because when things start busting loose in your life. If you don't have the support and the surrounding of that, that's what causes so much destruction. When things start coming unhinged, it's it's going to be tough to find that support. So I want to encourage you to not be like Peter. Jesus says, you're not going to lay your life down, but you're actually going to deny me, Peter. Now, Peter had a lot of love for Jesus. His his devotion and his love for Jesus was outrunning his ability. So listen to me. You you can love Jesus and this can happen. You can be devoted to him. You can think he's wonderful. You could praise him and worship him, raise your hands and worship. You 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 can have great devotion for Jesus, but your ability gets outrun from devotion. From devotion to connection with other followers of Jesus this has really been on my heart really has been on my heart I know we're busy I know it's hard to get together with people I know we've got more things than we can say grace over but because we don't know ourselves this is why it's so critical I'm I'm going to push some stuff out of my life or get less sleep (laughs) or do less things but have people in my life that can speak into my life and say to me those things that I need. So let's bow our heads just for a moment. Lord Jesus, uh, there are a lot of times we feel like Peter. And we're thankful for your kindness, and we're going to see some more of that in chapter 14 to Peter and all these guys. But we're asking for your help today to be guided and directed By the way of love. And again, not some silly, sentimental, sloppy kind of thought. But love that is informed by our faith. And then, Lord Jesus, would you give us the courage to look another guy in the eye, if we're a guy or if we're a a lady, look another woman in the eye and say, let's have coffee. Let's see if there isn't something here God could do between us. Lord, give us the courage to do it. And if people say, you know, I'm not up to that, I'm not really interested, okay. We'd have the courage to just let people be what they want to be. But help us to pursue this, to not just agree with it and say it's a great idea and doesn't it sound good, but to pursue it in a way that brings vitality and life to our lives. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We'll be in 14 next week.